Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. And welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But thankfully, we're in this together, and we have some awesome people helping us along the way. Now, transgender children, gender nonconformity, and transgender rights have exploded into national consciousness. We have become more and more familiar with gender non-binary and transgender people as the media has introduced us to people like Jazz Jennings, Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox. While the conversation about transgender people has progressed, many parents and educators are still unsure how to talk about transgender issues intelligently and compassionately And there is really no time like the present to get the information we need. It's really no secret that transgender youth are still suffering from constant scrutiny, bullying, humiliation, misunderstanding. And that is why today I feel personally blessed to have my dear friend and colleague, Jessica Herthel, here on our show to talk about the topic of embracing the spectrum of children's gender expression in a world where many people don't understand and some can be truly cruel. Jessica Herthel is a former attorney, the mother of three daughters, and the co-author of the children's book, I Am Jazz, about real-life transgender teen Jazz Jennings. Prior to writing the book, Jessica held the position of education director at the Stonewall National Museum and Archives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and has assisted the Broward County Public School District in creating inclusive curriculum and school board policy. Presently, Jessica travels around the country presenting I Am Jazz to schools and communities, something she loves to do, and she consults privately with families working to increase support for their own LGBTQ kids. You can learn all about Jessica on her website at jessicaherthel.com. Now, I am so excited to get started and turn our attention to today's guest of honor, who has taken time out of her busy schedule to inspire us and give us some concrete tools that we can use right away or when we are in need. Someone I truly appreciate in my life, my friend and colleague, Jessica Herthel. Thank you so much for joining us on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. It's so nice to be here, and the feelings are mutual. I think you are a superstar. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, thank you. We're going to have a lot of fun, and I think we're going to get some good information across. But before we get to the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you, to read your book, to learn about your curriculum, hear you speak, or maybe see you on the program, I Am Jazz. Would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning? What are you passionate about? And why did you get involved with LGBTQ advocacy, especially with regard to children and youth? I would love to. I actually stumbled into my work as an advocate completely um, by mistake. Um, I was parenting my own three girls who show no signs of having any gender 
um, nonconformity. They don't seem to be showing any tendency to identify as kind of outside this traditional binary. But it was important to me that I raise my kids in a way that they were compassionate people. You know, that was from the time they were born, because I have a lot of friends who are in the LGBT community, it was important to me that they know how to kind of get along in today's world. Um, so it started out very selfishly. Um, I just wanted my kids to be conversant in kind of these issues of the day. So I wasn't really out to be uh, an advocate. I was just a stay-at-home mom. And when I started seeing that my own kids had questions, um, I wanted to just give them as much information as I could so that they would um, just be good people and know how to show kindness to people, even if they didn't absolutely understand or identify with what they were going through. So again, it just started off very selfishly. I just wanted my own kids to be well-equipped in the world. And the more I kind of learned about these issues, um, the more I realized that there was a lot more conversation that had to, um, that had to begin among you know, straight parents and straight kids. Awesome. Now, you co-wrote a book called I Am Jazz. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the book, who's it's for, what is it about? What, what, why did you write this? Well, I met Jazz's mom. Her name is Jeanette. I met her at a community um, meeting for parents who were concerned about creative and in inclusive schools. I met her and I kind of recognized her from TV, actually. I had seen her on television. And then when I connected the dots and realized that I was speaking to someone I had seen on Barbara Walters, we kind of immediately became friends. I told her that you know, I'm a parent of straight kids, but I really am committed to making school safer for all other kids who might feel different. Um, and through our friendship, Jeanette and my friendship, we decided, you know, let's introduce the kids. I was really curious. So we, you know, introduced our kids. And because it was such a seamless and easy introduction, I asked Jeanette if we might be able to put a book together as much for parents like me as for parents like her. Okay. So Jazz uh, she is, uh, I don't know how old she is right now, but you were writing a book with a teenager. Is that correct? Well, Jazz is now 16, okay. but when we started writing the book, she was 11. Um, and I used, um, in order to come up with the text for the book, I used her YouTube videos from when she was five, six, and seven years old. Oh, that's really, really wanted, neat. Yeah, I wanted to capture her voice from when she was the age that we were targeting in terms of starting these conversations. So I went back and I looked at her old footage and I tried to use her words. That's really neat. So then what is the book really about and how can it be used? So we went through many iterations of how to write this book. Um, I felt in my heart that it should be a first person narrative for parents who didn't know how to explain what the word transgender meant to little kids. Um, we got a lot of advice, being that we were first-time authors, Jazz and I, we got a, a lot of advice that the book shouldn't be a first-person narrative, it should be third-person, it should follow a traditional format, it should have a traditional arc. So we tried it, and I actually wrote seven different versions of the book, but I kept coming back to this first-person narrative which said, my name is Jazz, mm -hmm. I'm transgender, and this is what this word means. And when we went to shop it around to publishers, um, we knew that we had a, a tough road ahead of us because it was such a very direct conversation. Um, but we weren't interested in, in, in sugarcoating this. We weren't interested in following, I think, what the trajectory of other children's books up to that point had done, which is kind of address gender um, in the background or kind of um, in, in an obtuse manner where you weren't quite sure what you were you know, supposed to take away from.
from the book and I had read a couple of kids books where even I as an adult wasn't sure what the protagonist was trying to say about his or her gender expression. So we kind of just stuck with, you know, what our gut was telling us, which was um, this should be a very direct book that could be a teaching tool. It wasn't going to be your traditional bedtime story. It was going to be a conversation starter for someone like me who didn't know how to explain this to a four-year-old, but felt that it was important that my four-year-old be able to treat all kids with respect. Well, we certainly did that. You sent me a copy uh, when I think my daughter might have been five at the time. It was an advanced copy, uh, maybe five, maybe six. My son was either four or five. And we certainly did use it as a conversation starter. I know many people argue that young people aren't really able to understand the concepts of gender, gender stereotypes at such an early age. What is your view on that? And and what do you think is the right age to start talking to kids about gender and gender stereotypes and, and all these types of conversations? I think parents who are nervous about this make it so much more complicated than it has to be. Um, and the number one criticism that we got when the book first came out is little kids are too young. They're too young to know about this. They're too young to hear about it. But the reality is that from the time kids are one and a half, two years old, we're directing them to either the pink aisle of the toy store or the blue aisle. We're putting them into gender specific outfits. We're putting ribbons in the little girl's hair. We're putting, you know, baseball hats on the little boys. We're kind of coding our kids from the time they're born. Um, When we find out someone's having a boy, we send a blue blanket. So, you know, my experience over the past five years of kind of being very much in the trenches with the families that are going through this is their one and a half to two year old children are already expressing a preference to either um, certain toys or certain outfits. Um, They kick and scream when you try to put you know, a child in a dress who just doesn't feel that that the dress represents them or that they feel comfortable. So what I've been trying to kind of communicate to teachers and parents and religious leaders is what we're advocating with the book isn't, you know, pushing something onto a kid who's not ready. It's just following a child's lead, um, loving your child, no matter how they kind of intuitively or innately want to express gender, we're not trying to shape them. We're just trying to listen to them. And like we say in the book, you know, where Jazz says pretending I was a boy felt like telling a lie. Mm -hmm. For some of these kids who really are in a different place on the gender spectrum than we assume they are, it does feel like we're asking them to lie every day by going by a, a name or putting on an outfit or playing with a set of toys that feels completely unnatural to them. So really, we're just asking parents to just be a little more open-minded from the time kids are very young, to just love the child you got, even if it's not the child you expected. Mm. Well, that's very powerful. And uh, I want to underscore what you're saying. It's it's not always easy to hear. And, it's, and we're not just talking about uh, gender here when we're saying that statement. We've got to love our child no matter what is going on. They're different from you in all different ways. And sometimes it's hard to accept. But why do you think is it, it, it is important to explain gender expression as existing along a spectrum rather than putting people in boxes. I mean, for little kids in particular, and again, when, when I hear all these things about bathroom bills and, and legislation, and I, I watch these hearings, sometimes you can see them on local cable TV, and you see how completely you know, incorrectly people who 
are, are against transgender rights are, are categorizing these kids. It's not that these children are trying, it's not that they're rebelling, it's not that they have some kind of sexual deviance. These are very young children, sometimes maybe three and four years old, who all they want to do is be given the freedom to be honest about who they are. And so I feel like, you know, for parents who ultimately it comes down, I, I think, to our own preconceptions, you know, about who our kids are meant to be. Same thing happens when your child comes out as gay, if they're, you know, a, a tween or a teen. It, at some time, it, sometimes it's really about you as a parent letting go of something that you wanted for your child, kind of selfishly, I had this idea for my child, or I had this, you know, in future projected for my kid. And that's really about you know, us as parents going through a process where we have to let go of something which we had in our head or our heart that we thought was meant to be. But what's meant to be is really big, much bigger than us. And giving over a little bit of the control that we want to have as parents to kind of let your children tell us who they are. And I agree with you totally. You know, loving your child unconditionally is uh, it's a huge concept and it involves so much of letting these children develop you know, with the freedom to be honest, because we've seen kind of through studies and through clinical um, research, you know, the risks that kids um, are subjected to when they're told, you know, you can't express yourself authentically, or, you know, you're not allowed to have wear your hair in a certain way, and the bullying and the, I mean, the risks are kind of off the charts for, you know, suicidal ideation, God forbid, or, you know, substance abuse, promiscuity, um, experimentation with alcohol, all of those risks just really um, go up exponentially when a child is either shamed or flat out forbidden from being their authentic self. And obviously, as parents, we all want to avoid those risks. I remember seeing you on TV and you were talking about the uh, overwhelming number of young people who were on the streets who identified as LGBTQ. Um, so it, that is also possibly a risk factor, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes when we in the suburbs and we have, have these very sheltered lives, when we think about homeless people, we think about um, adults or army veterans or people with mental illness. But the reality is there's a number, there's a, a shocking number of teens who live on the streets, 40% um, of whom are LGBT identifying and most of whom were kicked out of their home because they identified in some way as gay or transgender or gender non-binary and their parents just really weren't willing to accept them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not only do you have the 40% of kids, 40% um, of people who live on the street are, are LGBTQ, but you also have that other 40% number, which is 40 to 50% of unsupported transgender kids will attempt to take their lives. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, that number, and if it is closer to 50%, as some studies suggest, as parents, as educators, as people in the community, if there was anything you could do to reduce a one out of two risk, you would do it. I assume you, you know, a, a teen suicide affects the whole community. And there is, you know, it's really just so easy to, it's not like ch childhood cancer, you know, where you, it's very difficult to make those, those risk numbers go down. If you've got a kid with cancer, God forbid, I mean, this is so easy to fix, but it really just requires us to open our hearts and minds a little bit to what these kids are trying to tell us. Right. It's not about fixing the child. It's about fixing how yeah. we're responding to yeah. that child. And, and really, it's so it's just so easy because we're asking people just to be more loving. I mean, it's yes. the same, it's the same kind of exchange that I often have with people who consider themselves very religious and say, well, I, I don't, I couldn't accept, you know, a gay child because of my religion. And, and I say to them, I, I believe that what, 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 
most religions are based in is, is love and acceptance and the idea that, you know, we're not here to judge one another. So what I say to parents when they they express, well, I'd rather have a, you know, a, a dead son than a living daughter if my kid wanted to transition. I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, it, you can't really mean that. I mean, I, I, it comes from a place of love. And I understand that parents, you know, feel that they're saying that in a loving way. Well, I, you know, I, I, God doesn't make mistakes and it's my job to raise this child. But, you know, th the numbers are such that you know, we know we can't change these children the same way that, you know, gay conversion therapy, you know, doesn't work. Same thing with, with gender. You, you can force a child, you can shame a child, you can um, for, require a child to act or dress a certain way. But who they are isn't being changed by that. And every day that goes by, you're increasing their risk of anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. So it's really important that we look at who it is that, you know, who it is we answer to at the end of the day. And I think we, we owe it to our kids to lead with love. These are sobering statistics, and I appreciate you telling us about them. I think that some of the people who are listening might want to understand how to explain some of these words to their children. So if a child came to you and said, what, what is transgender? How could you explain it in a way that is easy for them to understand? So I actually stumbled upon uh, this explanation and this definition um, kind of just off the cuff when I was talking to my kids for the first time. They, uh, my, my three little girls had actually walked into the room uh, while I was watching a documentary on jazz on TV. And I made the split second decision kind of to let them come watch and to sit down and not chase them out of the room. And the way that came to my mind just kind of in the moment was I said to them, you remember that your father and I have always taught you that we don't judge people based on their size or their shape or their color. And we always get to know the person on the inside. And of course, at the time we, we were talking about, you know, skin color. Mm -hmm. and we were trying to teach them, you know, that, that you always get to know the person on the inside. So I used that explanation. I said, remember, we don't judge based on size, shape or color. Well, the girl on TV, she was born with an unusual shape. She was born in the shape of a boy. But she's like you, you know, she she likes to do the same things you like and she has a trampoline and she likes to play dress up and she likes to put her hair in braids. And so when we when we had the opportunity to meet Jazz, I reminded them, I said, remember, she just has an unusual shape, but that doesn't change who she is on the inside. And later, a child psychologist said to me, who came to hear me speak once, she said, you know, that's actually the perfect age-appropriate way to describe this to a, a young child who's four or five years old. We as adults make it more complicated. Mm -hmm. But for a kid, it's really just about, you know, this is a girl who's shaped like a boy, but that doesn't tell you anything about who she is. Mm -hmm. And we should get to know the person. So that's what I, I recommend is really just, you know, w with little kids, and we want to start these conversations when kids are young, it's really just about someone's shape, but we don't judge anyone by their shape or their color or their size. Mm, that is a beautiful way of explaining it. And I, I know from the I Am Jazz book that when it's explained there, uh, Jazz or you are talking about girl brain and a boy body. That was another way that you had explained it. Um, and my my kids really got it. You know, the, the kids don't question it. They're like, oh, okay. Um, it's really, I think you're right, more when parents are talking about it that we get more concerned with what it is that we're saying and we get more, compli uh, more complicated than we need to. And by the way, the, the girl brain boy body that did come from Jazz's video. I mean, if you YouTube, you Google on YouTube, you know, some early videos of Jazz, you see her when she was, I think, six years old, you know, sitting on a porch swing. And she said, I have a girl brain and a boy body and I'm different than you. 
but I'm happy and, you know, and I'm having fun. And those are all words that ended up in the book. So it was how she explained it. And we really struggled with, you know, how do you illustrate that page of the book? Um, because you could really make or break it on that page. It's a really difficult page to illustrate. I have a girl brain, but a boy body. And fortunately, our illustrator, who um, is based out of the UK, she came up with, the, I think, the really brilliant idea of just using Jazz's real artwork um, to illustrate the difference between when she was forced to dress in her boy clothes and when she was allowed to dress in her girl clothes. And, and, and the page in the book, those are her actual drawings that were recreated. So when she's wearing her boy clothes, she's always under a rain cloud and it's raining. Mm. She's wearing a dress, the sun is shining on her. And that was how she drew herself when she was four and five years old, showing the difference between kind of when she was allowed to express herself authentically and when she was not. Mm, beautiful. So... I, I've been in this situation before, and let's say your child is sitting in front of you, and this certainly has happened to me. Your child, maybe earlier in the day, was introduced to another child who um, maybe was dressed in clothes that seemed, wait, uh, this looks like a boy, but but then the, the person is dressed as a girl or vice versa. And then your child asks you about that. Maybe why what, maybe they would say, why was that boy wearing a dress? Or yeah. why was that girl playing in this way? Yeah. How would you answer that child? I mean, I think this is happening more and more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at my local grocery store, there's a transgender woman who you know, she recently transitioned. So if you're a little kid, you're looking at this person bagging your groceries and you're thinking, hmm, that looks like a boy who's wearing a dress and makeup. And even, you know, when I had a conversation with this trans woman, she said, yeah, a kid just the other day loudly announced to everyone in the line, is that a boy or a girl? And of course the mom was horrified and just kind of ushered the kid out of there. But I think that, you know, even though our reaction is mortification, it's an opportunity really to say, you know, to your kid kind of loudly in front of everyone, you know, let's ask, you know, how does, what's this, what is your name and, and what pronoun do, do you use? Because I think that part of what has been so difficult about being transgender in our country, even if, as things have gotten better, is this, this otherness that we put on trans, mm-hmm. trans kids. And it's why this attempted compromise that a lot of people have proposed, which is, well, we don't want trans kids in the boys' room or the girls' room. We'll put them in the nurse's bathroom. I think that the reason that that has failed and that that isn't being embraced by the the trans community is because that continues to other the child. It's saying, well, you don't belong in the boys' room and you don't belong in the girls' room. You belong somewhere else. It's like I, I said to my friend, um, I have a friend who's a gay man, and he said, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it's it's not like everyone doesn't want a private restroom. And I said, but can you imagine if you were a kid, and you're in, say, sixth grade, and they're saying to you as a, as a young gay man, well, you can't use the boys' room, you can't use the girls' room, you have to go into the gay bathroom. Mm. You walk down to the nurse's office, and that's where gay people are allowed to go. And I said, that's how the trans kids feel when they're told, well, you don't belong in one or the other. So I feel like the same thing happens if your kid asks you know, loudly in the supermarket, is that a boy or a girl or what? You can say, well, let's, you know, let's ask. And let's say, how, how do you want to be referred? It can be awkward for sure, especially for the grown-up to go up to someone and say, I'm sorry, my kid has a question. You know, what is your name and, and what pronoun do you like to use? But those people in those situations, I assure you would rather have someone come up and ask to their face, 
what name do you prefer or what pronoun do you prefer? Um, my kid has some questions, then be gossiped about behind their backs or be snickered about um, and, and feel once again reminded that they're different or they're not. Mm, okay. Okay. And I, I think that that's something important to hear because I, I think a lot of people don't know what to do in that situation. And it certainly happens. Uh, mm. I know that this is controversial and there are people listening right now who uh, may be accepting of this situation and may not be accepting of what they're hearing. Uh, maybe they they feel that the values that they're teaching at home are, are different than what you're explaining. But I, I think that one of the things that you're continuing to underscore is that young people, whoever they are, are deserving of kindness and deserving of respect. So what are some tips that we can give to parents so that they can help kids to be kind to others, even if they don't understand or even if they disagree? Yeah, I mean, this is the number one thing we, we, we talk about when I go to schools, which is um, you don't have to totally understand someone. And it, this isn't limited to gender. I mean, it, mm-hmm. this could be if you have um, a Muslim child who comes to your school and is wearing a headscarf and you don't quite understand, you know, why is that person covering their head or what does it mean or someone who has uh, any kind of kind of outward expression that that isn't quite what you're familiar with to lead with love and compassion, even if you don't understand. Um, and, and, and that's why it's frustrating a little bit when, when someone will say, well, we don't want you to read your book in our community because um, it, it doesn't agree with our values. When the, really the value of the book is just be loving and be kind and be, tr- be honest. Um, and and these, are, these are values that I think everyone can get behind because you, the idea of a child being ostracized or being forced um, to lie to their family and their friends about what they're feeling. I don't think that's any anything that any parent would want for their kids. So, so again, I tell my own kids, you know, lead lead with compassion and love. And then, if you have questions, you know, you can ask me later. But always be kind. Always treat the person how you'd want to be treated. Um, never make a, a snap decision or, or or a preconception about someone um, just based on what they look what they look like. Um, these are just things that that we've been telling them for years in many different contexts, and now we're just applying it also to gender, especially because I don't think you can put, you know, the, this genie back in the bottle. I don't think that. With all the visibility, um, people like Caitlyn Jenner and Laverne Cox, I don't think that you're going to get transgender or even gender nonconforming people who just feel that the, this gender kind of binary doesn't fit them. I don't think we're going to be able to push all these people back into the closet. Um, I think there's been too much progress, um, too much visibility, too much advocacy. So it's really just a question of do you want to equip your kids with tools to allow them to kind of function in this world that we now live in? Or do you want to continue to shelter them and pray that this never comes into your community? And then if and when it does, you know, have a panic because your kid, you know, it's really just the question of do you want to be proactive or reactive? And and I am, I'm a big fan of being proactive and telling your kids there are a lot of different people in the world. And that's why this world's so interesting. You know, you are going to meet people who are different. And it's important just, just to be compassionate and loving no matter who they are. What do you say to parents who are concerned that if they bring this topic up to their children, that somehow that would make their child make decisions around gender that they wouldn't have made before? I mean, what I say to parents is that this is not a contagious condition. 
just as people used to say about gay people. Um, oh, they're recruiting or, you know, by having talking about gay things at school, more people will be gay. I don't think that has been uh, proven to be accurate. I don't think that gay is contagious and certainly gender um, nonconformity is not contagious. If anything, um, in the event that, and I have not heard of this happening, but say I went to a school and I read the book and I did my little presentation. And if a, a kid then did go home and say, you know what, I, I do want to talk to you about, you know, my hairstyle or my clothes. It's not that they caught the, the gender nonconformity. It's that they finally had the language to express something. In fact, that's part of why we wrote the book was to give the, the actual vocabulary to kids who might be struggling because I certainly have friends who consider themselves transgender, who transitioned later in life and went through 10 or 15 years of self-hatred and questioning and self-loathing because they didn't understand why they couldn't fit in or what this feeling was that they didn't know how to explain to anyone. And so they felt like it was a secret that they had to keep. And so by giving little kids these words like gender, like transgender, like um, gender nonconforming, I mean, we have friends whose little boys love to play with dolls and they know that my house is a safe place to do that <clears throat> because I don't, I, in my house, toys are for everyone and clothes are for everyone and the dress up box is for everyone. So I'm not saying that, that, that every home needs to be quite that open in, in terms of, you know, allowing everyone to play with everything, but just to let kids lead you and to follow them um, because this, this can only end up in a child feeling more confident um, and more loved, which I feel like is really the goal. Mm-hmm. So if a parent is listening and would like to start this conversation with their child, they want them to be maybe more accepting, more loving, or just understand that gender is not something that you can put in a box. What are some tips of, that you would give to parents if they want to go home tonight and talk to their kids about this? I think the easiest kind of port of entry is to start having conversations with your kids about all the messaging that children receive. In fact, they're inundated by on a day-to-day basis from the TV shows they watch to the commercials they see to the aisles in the store, which is start pointing out to your kids, look at how you know, in this store, there's a section of, of clothes that are for girls, a section that are for boys. And let's look at the difference. I mean, I love the viral video that went around mm-hmm. recently with a little girl. I think she was in the UK mm-hmm. where she pointed out the two T-shirts and she said, why do the boys T-shirts say be adventurous mm-hmm. and the girls T-shirts say I'm pretty. Right. And having those conversations, it, it's kind of like a game. It's like an I spy where you start having your kids point out to you, look, mommy, when you go to um, a fast food place and they say, do you want a boy toy or a girl toy? Let's compare those toys. Why aren't there just toys that come with the, with the, with the happy meal? You know, why mm-hmm. do you say boy toy or girl toy? And think about what it's like for a family that has, say, a gender nonconforming son who really would prefer to play with the Barbie and instead of the race car. Um, kind of the shame that we as a society kind of Im- impose on that family when they say, well, we, we want a, a meal for our child, but can we have the girl toy? And then they look at the little boy and say, but you have a boy. Mm. Just how, just to start having the conversation with your kids about how much of that messaging exists in our society and how great it would, would be if we could break some of those things down. I have great faith that the next generation will be so much more critically aware of the messaging that goes on and, and, and the gender stereotyping that goes on so we can start to dismantle those and it just means more opportunity for everyone. 
I agree with that. And our whole family, our favorite color is blue. And it just happens to be in our family. So, you know, we've had conversations about colors, about toys, about uh, activities, because we, we don't do the, you have to play with this and you have to play with that because I have a boy and a girl. They each play with each other's toys. They each wear all types of colors. And uh, it, it's it's interesting to hear from their young perspective that it's a whole load of garbage when somebody says a girl has to wear pink or play with dolls and a boy has to wear blue and, and play with trucks when in my family, you know, anything can go. So <laughs> I don't mean to, to gloss over how hard it could be potentially because you know, just because this jazz is not my child, I've certainly sat with many families who worry not just about, well, how will my kid be treated if they come out right. somehow as gender nonconforming or transgender, but they worry about themselves. How will our friends and family react? Will we be judged as parents? Will people look at us and snicker be, you know, behind our backs? Um, will we be yes. told that we did something wrong? Sure. And I think that what's so great about Jazz kind of as a role model is she came from a family where she has older brothers and an older sister. So you can't kind of level the criticism against her parents that often transgender kids' parents hear, which is, well, you just wanted a girl or you just wanted a boy. So you kind of forced this on your kid. They already had a girl. They already had two boys. This is something that, w this is how Jazz was born. Her brain, and I ha I'm confident that in a few years, science will catch up and show how, you know, brains develop it kind of with a certain gender identity, just like I think they develop with a certain orientation. Um, but this was something that Jazz was able to express from the time she was one and a half years old. So just the, this idea that, you know, we only we only do our kids a great service by giving them the freedom to be who they are. And, and, and the concern about you, what will people think of me? Will people make fun of my child? Will people make fun of me? That only goes away when we as a society kind of band together as a big village and say, we are going to love our children no matter what. Because if we as a society and as a community are going to embrace our children in all of their many shapes and sizes and colors and variations, then the teasing goes away because we as a community have said, this is not saying the child shows. This is like being born with red hair. We wouldn't tease that child, just like we shouldn't tease our child for, you know, existing somewhere along the gender spectrum that's different than we assume. So mm -hmm. I feel like we're heading in that direction, but it really just comes down to how we as a community can take care of each other and love one another and not judge one another. I think that's important. And, it, and you're right. It's easier said, I'm sure, than done, considering that neither you nor me have this situation in our families, but it's important that we keep an open mind and understand that there's a real struggle out there. And and maybe you can touch on that right now and, and, and tell us what should a parent do if they suspect that their child is struggling with gender and they don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. Well, there's different stages um, in supporting your kids. So if, if there's a young child who seems to be somehow gender nonconforming, um, I always ask parents to do two things. Number one, I ask them to kind of loosen the reins a little bit and let their child you know, choose what he or she wants to wear or play with or the kind of haircut. I mean, hair is such a big thing for little kids that, that I've heard parents tell me stories that when they let their child who was kind of anatomically female but never felt girly, when they let that child cut their hair to a, a short haircut, that child wept with relief because oh, just, gosh, wow. 
long hair is such a signal to the world. Um, and, and again, that's kind of our our bad as a society by looking at someone seeing long hair and then deciding all of these things as a result of that. So, so being able to kind of shed that long hair and lose all of the kind of societal implications that, you know, girlness has, you know, I feel like number one, parents need to listen to their kid. And number two, if you have a little kid is just read as much as you can and get as educated as you can. One of my favorite books is called Raising My Rainbow. And the author is Lori Duron, D-U-R-O-N. And I, she writes kind of the first memoir of what it's like to have two boys, one of whom from the time he was two years old just wanted pink and glitter and ball gowns and is happy being a boy but wants the freedom to say, this is how I like to dress and this is what I like to play with. And it's not hurting anyone to let him be who he is. So I love the idea of just taking you know time to read. If you have an older child, say a tween who's expressing some kind of um, struggle with his or her gender, then it's a little more of a time issue because what you don't want is for a child to go through the wrong puberty. Um, so if you had, say, a, a, a nine or a 10-year-old who said, you know what, I just can't live in this body one more minute. And just as a side note, for the people who think this isn't real or it's um, somehow a sexual perversion or it's something that you know we're imposing on our kids, there are horror stories of parents walking in on children who are trying to cut off their penis with a nail clipper, oh, saying, "Mommy, I want it to go away." I mean, for some of these kids, the gender dysphoria of being in this body that feels wrong to them, it's so overwhelming that children do very drastic things to get rid of this body part that feels wrong to them. So this is not something that the kids, you know, that we're putting on them. It, for, for some of these kids who are in real distress, it's a matter of life and death to say, I believe, I believe you, I believe you. That's what we say in the book, I believe you, be who you are. So if you have an older kid, what you don't want is for them to go through the wrong puberty. And there's this incredible, you know, there's puberty blockers that are such a godsend because they can buy you time. They buy, they, they pause the puberty. You can go find a therapist. You can find a psychologist to start speaking with your kid. But you essentially get to press pause so that your child doesn't go through the wrong puberty. Because once puberty has occurred, there are certain changes that just can't be reversed. And you want your child to feel as comfortable in their body as possible so that when they become an adult, they want to live. And some of these kids don't want to live one more day in these bodies. So I would encourage you, you know, again, if you've got little kids, give them the freedom to tell you about their preferences in terms of dress and clothing and hairstyle, read as much as you can. And if you have an older kid to get quickly involved in terms of um, finding an endocrinologist, a psychologist, get your pediatrician involved, because you're a little bit racing against the clock when you've got um, a tween who doesn't want to go through puberty as the wrong gender. Wow, that is really important information, and I'm sure those listening can understand how vital it is to get some assistance. Uh, this is not something to play around with, and we are dealing with uh, biology um, yeah. at this point, and, uh, and then, of course, the psychology that goes along with it. So that is a very important information. And if you don't know where to start, start with your pediatrician. And if your pediatrician isn't um, understanding or listening, go find another doctor who will, because there are many people out there who can help. Just to, to put a button on that, I think another misunderstanding that is really dramatically dangerous is people say, well, you shouldn't make a, um, a sexual reassignment surgery on a child. Mm -hmm. 
Of course not. No one would do that. No one is advocating that. I think that part of what people don't understand is we would never advocate medical intervention on a young child. That's part of this criticism that kids are too young. We agree. Those of us who advocate for trans kids and gender nonconforming kids agree. Nothing permanent should be done to a child. All we're advocating for when the kids are young is letting them dress and play the way that feels natural to them. You wouldn't really talk about any kind of medical intervention until um, puberty, when you would pause puberty. And then if there was ever going to be any kind of sexual sexual confirmation surgery, that wouldn't happen until the child had reached the age of consent. So you were never talking about doing anything permanent to a young child in terms of medical intervention and even the puberty blockers those are that the effects of a blocker those are all reversible as well so you're really just buying time to learn more about your child and let your child learn more in terms of you know finding the right language to express what's going on in their head so that you can set them out on the best path possible for their for their future thank you for clearing that up because that is an argument that we often hear uh, that these young kids can't make these drastic uh, choices for themselves because they're young kids and they don't have maybe all the information or don't have all the development in order to make that decision and of course, there are some kids who, when they are young, may dress a certain way, and then as they get older, may dress a different way. So it's important for them to uh, be able to grow up without so many constraints and still be able to make decisions for themselves. Um, And by buying them time, you help them to get to an age where they can make a concrete decision for themselves. That's right. All right. So we come to the time where we give our top tip, the top takeaway that you would want listeners to really hear from you today. What would it be? What is the top takeaway? My top takeaway is to really give some profound thought to your preconceptions um, as a parent about gender. Uh, We walk around um, with a, a whole host of preconceptions Um, about what a boy should look like, what a girl should look like, what a boy should act like, what a girl should act like, um, what it means to be a man in our society, uh, what it means to be a woman. We walk around with a a huge universe of preconceptions and they're easy and they're, they make us feel good because it helps us categorize our world and we can look at someone and in a split second we can put them into a box and we feel like we know certain things about them. And I guess my number one takeaway both for yourself and for your children is to think about what it would mean to look at the world without those two boxes. And just in the same way that we, if you look at someone and you, you're having a conversation, if, if I were to say, what's their eye color? Tell me their eye color in a box. You know, some people you'd really struggle and say, I don't know, it's kind of blue, it's kind of brown, it's a little green. You know, it's hard to put eye color in a box. I urge you to think of gender the same way. For as uncomfortable as it may be initially, because we like to put people in boxes, it makes it easy for us. Think of gender in the same way that we think about eye color. There's a lot of different ways to express gender, and there's nothing inherently bad about not being in one extreme or another, or one box or another. It would allow you more freedom. And it certainly allows your kids more freedom. And freedom, I really believe, equals well-being. Well, I'm really glad that you are an advocate. Can you tell people where they can get more information or give us the resource of the week? Yeah, so I really like, um, if you just Google um, GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, they have a Transgender 101 page um, or any of their kind of basic resources that they have on their website. It's really a great resource in terms of just 
here's an overview. Here are what these words mean. Here's um, here's ha- here's what transgender means. Here's what gender nonconforming means. Here's what binary means. I really like glad g l a a d dot org. Um, if you you know go to their search bar and you type in transgender one hundred and one, I think you can get a really good overview that you could even take with you to your school or your um, guidance counselor if you feel like this applies to your child. Excellent. And if people want more information about you, where can they go? My website is jessicaherthel.com. And one of my favorite things to do is to take the book um, to communities um, that either have a trans kid and they want to be more supportive, or they don't yet, but they know that they invariably will, inevitably, and they want their parents, teachers, and students to all be prepared to treat that child with respect and the dignity that they deserve. And if the if our community of listeners would like to get the book, I Am Jazz, where can they find that? You can find it anywhere uh, books are sold, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, I, it, sometimes it's hard to find it in the store because some communities, again, feel like this is something kids shouldn't learn about. Um, but if it's not in your store, um, your, your local bookstore, um, please ask for it and tell them that this is not a dirty secret that needs to be kept in the parenting section. This is something that, um, that we need to start talking about with our kids. Very important information. Jess, thank you so very much for joining us today. Your information is it's just really important. And it's you've so eloquently said that this is a matter of life and death for some of these kids. And we really need to get to talking about it, get people out of the boxes and get people uh, having some good conversation and learning about everybody, learning about how we can be kind and thoughtful and respectful, even when we don't fully understand. I I just love how you explained uh, all of the different terminology and the statistics you brought in. It really hits home and uh, really says that we need to do something about how we're handling uh, transgender kids and how we're handling kids who are different from what we expected. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman and let's chat. Or we can talk about it on drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. And if you love this podcast like I did, and there's some great information here, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate it so that others can learn about it? Send it to people make sure that people can hear it, know it, love it themselves. I'd really, truly appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And so my fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for joining us on how to talk to kids about anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, Even when it seems like nothing's going right, we don't understand, we have these days and you've got this. You're here and you're getting the information you need. And on the days that we fall short, and you know we all have them, never forget that there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I get it. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. 
For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.